And we're back. Welcome to Episode 9 of the Try Hard Fantasy Football Podcast. Today we will recap Week 1 of the NFL games, go over some disappointments and surprises, and then list our top waiver and trade targets. We abs- we promise absolutely no overanalyzing a small sample size. <laughs> Liar. When I- Lies. <laughs> when I say we, I mean myself, of course, your gracious host, Stephen, and the Michael Thomas to my Robbie Anderson, the Tom Brady to my Mitchell Trubisky, Brian. How are you doing today, Brian? Better yet, better yet, how does it feel to have football back? Once again, we are able to keep holy the Sabbath. I am I'm doing great. I love that for once in one of your crazy intro analogies, I am the clearly better side, even if not in week have- one. Possibly a small blip of being better. I definitely, in long term, the solution. And having football back was great. Sunday was a blast. I watched, you know, all three games that were televised the noon game, three o'clock game, and the Sunday night game. Watched all of the first Monday night game and a little over half of the second Monday night game. I've just been taking up all the football I can. I've it was absolutely a blast, just a ton of fun. So glad to have fantasy football back and so glad to have a distraction back to, to look forward to on the weekends, given that we can't really do anything else these days because, you know, COVID. Okay. Um, first of all, did you actually watch the games? I did. Okay. I can't watch more than like a quarter and a half of a game without just being like, eh. I'll just use it as background noise. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. A, a part of why I can watch so much is because I've got money riding on the games, obviously, with DFS. And I'm tracking my team in real time, even though that, you know, me knowing that someone scored a touchdown the minute they do it or two hours later has no impact on whether or not they scored the touchdown. But I like to track it in real time, so that keeps me kind of glued to the TV all day. Plus, it's, you know, it's the first Sunday of NFL season. Hadn't had a single preseason game yet, so... You know, I was just taking it all in and getting all the football I could possibly handle. So you kept holy the Sabbath. I did. Good for you. <laughs> Sadly, my Vikings did not. What about the games? What, like, what? What's a general takeaway you have from like the actual games? Like, were you surprised? Did you feel like the fans not being there played an issue or played a big deal, or do you think that it just felt like football? For the most part, it felt like football, but the. There's two things about the fans that I definitely noticed. One is I think a lot of the home field advantage is out the window with no fans in the stands. I think it was extremely noticeable that away quarterbacks were able to get all their signals in, were able to get to the line of scrimmage and make audibles on time, and were able to affect the defense in the in the way that normally you only can at a home game, were very clear. I mean, I think Aaron Rodgers is the epitome of quarterback skill in that area his cadence is second to none and his ability to make plays off of defensive miscues whether it be in a a false start um, or some other penalty is just amazing he did that to the vikings all day the other thing i noticed and didn't really surprise me but definitely was reinforced the weekend is i hate i hate fake crowd noise i can't stand it it, it just felt like there were bees buzzing in the background of every broadcast. It was very clear that it was electronic and not natural noise. Just somehow I, I felt like you could hear it in the way that it was layered with the broadcast announcers. And most of the time it didn't match up with what was going on in the field of play. You know, Cam Newton would score a touchdown. It'd be three seconds later that the fake Patriots fans would roar their approval or, you know, and, it was very inconsistent. I hated it. I, I'm praying that they just get rid of the fake crowd noise within a couple of weeks and we can just listen to all the sounds of the game. Let us hear the calls. Let us hear the hits. Let us hear the players celebrate their way. Okay, and okay. Enjoy Relax. That. Relax. It wasn't that bad. <laughs> it was to me. I, I, I know that objectively it's probably not that horrible and that for a lot of people it's fine and it's going to continue, but I, I couldn't stand it. Um, do you have, do you want to get any more platitudes out of the way? Football platitudes. Let's hear the hits. Let's, 
near the playoffs. I mean, some teams really, you could tell, were ready to play. Others need to go back and practice a little <laughs> more, more. You know. Okay. Well, so know. yeah, the, we we can get all that out during the recap show. We're gonna do things a little different. Um, we won't go over each game like individually, but just like our biggest takeaways so that we could save some time. I know in the preview show we went over each ga- each game individually. A little bit more important, a little bit more important to do that in the preview show than in the recap show. So we'll be recapping a lot of the stuff from the games, but not everything. Like we're not gonna say. Yeah, uh, Lamar Jackson looked good, you know. Oh, but didn't he look good, though? Like, he really did. I feel like we both just wasted our breath doing that. But it was important (laughs) to just get it out of the way. So, first off, we had some uh, high-scoring games that we didn't necessarily think were going to be as high-scoring as they were. Let's start with um, the vaunted uh, Vikings defense against the aging... Uh, disgruntled, uh, kind of like not really interested Aaron Rodgers. I think what you meant to say is let's talk about the inexperienced, undisciplined Vikings defense against the angry bad man that is Aaron Rodgers and how Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams destroyed the Vikings secondary all day. It was okay. I want to say this angry, angry Aaron Rodgers thing. No, he seemed indifferent. He seemed like he was going out and just, oh, that guy's open. Oh. Okay, that guy's open. Yeah, that guy's open. All right, let's just get this over with. Oh, it's not like a raging anger. It's a subtle, simmering heat that's behind him at all times when people start to doubt his ability. And we talked about this before, that I kind of suspected we may see this, given that the Packers drafted Jordan Love and the whole offseason was spent talking about how Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers offense might be past their prime and might become secondary on the team. Uh, Rodgers kind of disproved all of that in one game, albeit against what apparently is a very below-average defense, at least without Daniil Hunter and at least against the pass. But he looked really good. He looked he looked like in midseason form. The Vikings didn't. I think here, just the biggest takeaway because we're spending a lot of time on just, you know, a first little point of one game. But the biggest takeaway is Minnesota might actually be a team to target against when you with quarterbacks and wide receivers. And, you know, maybe Kirk Cousins gets a little extra garbage time to pack right, his quick question. through. Quick question. You drafted uh, uh, Tom Brady. Will you stream Phillip Rivers next week? No, because Tom Brady also has a plus-plus matchup against the Carolina Panthers. Okay. But if Tom Brady were going against team like, I don't know, the Steelers, I, they're they're like the best defense, so maybe it's not the best example. But going against Steelers, I would place Philip Rivers above Tom Brady. Uh, Russell Wilson, four touchdowns. Believable? Do you care? Like, is this interesting? I mean, if you I draft mean, a Russell Wilson, you're playing Russell Wilson. I don't. Do we do we think yeah. he can provide that kind of fantasy relevance to uh to his wide receivers all year? Yes, I I think here the question really was and I saw this a lot on Twitter over the weekend was talking about how often the Seahawks threw the ball even though they were up for the entire game. Generally the Seahawks are one of the run heaviest teams in the NFL, but yesterday they threw it 35 times and only ran it about 20 times which is really an aberration and a reversal of their trends in wins. And so a lot of people are wondering whether that is a new look for Seattle, if they are going to let Russ cook, as the kids are saying these days. Oh, my God. (laughs) We're old, so we're not the kids. Um, And I'm not sure we can guarantee that. I think Atlanta has a very, very bad defense. It was week one. Let's see what Seattle does in subsequent games, and I think – For example, this weekend's game against the Patriots will be a really good test of how they handle, you know, someone who has a decent defense. I I do think Seattle relies more on its ground game going forward than they did in week one. I I disagree. Sorry, I'm going to be yawning a little bit. I'm not actually bored. I'm just kind of tired. So I disagree. I don't think that this is – I think the data that you can rely on is not – this last game it's the last however many years that Wilson has been playing for Seattle 
Um, and I think that those that people who are a little bit concerned about Chris Carson right now, they're like thinking, oh, I got one good game out of him, even though they're going to throw all year. Maybe I should trade him. I would target Chris Carson in trade. Like, I think I think his value only goes up for the rest of the year. And I don't know that a lot of people agree, but that's my take on it. I like Chris Carson. I don't know that you were really disagreeing with me, maybe against other people. But, um, yeah, I think Chris Carson's fine. I think he's going to be fine. I, I was a little concerned when I saw that Carlos Hyde had more carries than Carson in the game. But, again, I think that's more to do with game script and how easy a time Seattle had in this contest than it has anything to do with their running backs. And now, the new age is here. I told you. I told you it was coming. I told you it was coming. The Panthers are the real deal on offense. I said, I said, dump off (laughs) passes. Dump off passes for 80-yard touchdowns would be the Panthers' offense. And look where it got me. Look where it got me. Look where it got the Panthers. It got them a loss to the Raiders. So I don't care about that. (laughs) I guess, yeah, the Panthers' offense did well against a terrible defense. Huzzah. But I think overall this game we expect to be high scoring because it's two decent offenses against two terrible defenses. The game kind of played out, although it was a very, very high-scoring game. I thought the biggest takeaway that any fantasy owner should take from this game specifically was to for it to be another reminder of how worthless preseason hype can be. I mean, since the first day of training camp, all we heard about coming out of Vegas was Brian Edwards, how he was looking like the best player in camp. People were saying he was going to perform better than Henry Ruggs, the Raiders' first-round draft pick. And Edwards came out and did absolutely nothing this game, even though he should have been a starter or was a starter for the team. So just, you know, kind of a, that's the 2020 reminder of that the preseason is not worth, you know, a hill of beans. So just file that away for next year once, you know, the latest hype train starts rolling in August. All right. So... We went over some high-scoring games. Let's go over some high-scoring QBs. Um, not just, you know, like Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, but like mobile QBs. Because they, they had a decent week this uh, this week. For one, um, Jared Allen for the Vikings. No, that's not right. Jared Allen's not a QB. Who is this? Allen? Josh Allen. Josh Allen. He plays football for a team. Yeah, you got me. I, I, I'm not sure how much of this is a bit and how much of you. Well, I don't know. Before being before, sleep deprived from having a new puppy. Before this <laughs> season started, before this season started, somebody told me that Josh Allen is garbage, that he couldn't throw the ball, that he could barely even run the ball. I don't know. I, I, I just kind of erased him from my memory. I, I definitely said the former. I never said the latter. I've never said Josh Allen can't run the ball. And I have never said he's a bad fantasy asset. I've just said he's not a very good NFL QB, which I think is still kind of true, given he had two lost fumbles in Jets territory this weekend. But he did have a fantastic game, ended the day with 312 yards passing, two passing touchdowns, 57 yards rushing, and a rushing score. He was um, probably, if not for Aaron Rodgers, probably the you know best quarterback on the slate in terms of fantasy. But it came against the Jets. So there's that. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Um, how about how did Stephon Diggs do? Good. Mm-hmm. You know, he had a handful of catches. Uh, eight of them, actually, I guess. So more than a handful Two for handfuls. 86 yards. Sorry? Two handfuls. Two handfuls, yeah. Just about two full handfuls of catches for 86 yards. I mean, he did well. John Brown did well. He had six catches for 70 yards and a touchdown. You know, they're both Diggs and Brown are going to have good days. I, I expect for sure Diggs is going to have a couple monster days where he has like 130, 140 yards and two touchdowns. They're just going to come along with days where they have four catches for 40 yards. And it's going to depend on whether you have good Josh Allen or you have bad Josh Allen. And I expect more of the bad Josh Allen in terms of his passing ability than good Josh Allen. Uh, not fair enough, but let's move on. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky. 
Mitchell Trubisky. I was told this person is the one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. Is that correct? Or wait, no, Lamar Jackson. No, Mitchell Trubisky. Lamar Jack. Mitchell Trubisky. Oh, they just have the same numbers. I see. They just have the same stat line. Trubisky and Lamar Jackson. I got them confused for a second. Are you seriously comparing them right now? <laughs> First of all, Trubisky didn't even reach Lamar Jackson's level. Trubisky had 33 fewer yards passing and 19 fewer yards rushing. So come on. But no, Trubisky had obviously a fantastic game when you look at the final box score. 242 yards passing, three passing touchdowns, 26 yard rushing, you know, well over 25 fantasy points. He had a good Good, solid day for you. This is, again, another quarterback who is playing against a very bad defense. Who's t- in this case, his team was trailing for much of the game, got a lot of points in the second half when they just had to catch up. Trubisky is a fine quarterback streamer. You play him when he's playing a bad defense, and you will probably have a pretty good day with him. If you put Trubisky up against a good defense... He's not going to do anything, and you just can't trust him week in and week out. So next week, Trubisky or Cam Newton? I'm leaning Newton, but next week I do really like Trubisky. He gets the Giants in another really good matchup. What about the week after that, Trubisky or Cam Newton? I have not looked at the week three schedule (laughs) this early yet to know who the teams are playing, so I wouldn't be able to tell you. Uh, so Cam Newton had about half of Trubisky's numbers, um, but Brian's going Newton. Uh, I'll take Trubisky in this one. Why Why are you taking Newton, Brian? So listen, so Newton didn't have half his numbers. Newton had 155 yards passing, so yes, that's not so good. But he had 15 rushes for 75 yards and two rushing touchdowns, and they were designed runs for him to score. Newton was playing his first game in New England, his first game in a brand new system with a whole new team around him, and he put up this kind of stat line. And if he can keep doing that, and more importantly, if he keeps getting 10-plus rushes a game, he doesn't need to get 15, just 10 rushes a game, he is going to be an exceptional fantasy player for you this season and is going to finish ahead of wherever you drafted him, even if you followed my rankings and took him as the number 11 overall QB. Um, He's different than Trubisky. He's... He's similar to Allen. Like he might not put while you with passing stats, but the the rushing numbers are always going to be there for Cam. Um, and it looks like that's historically been true, and it looks like that's going to be true all season with the Patriots. I was pretty wowed by Allen's passing stats. Yeah, again, you're not you're not disagreeing with me. Point out again, everyone can have a good day. I mean, Philip Rivers put up 363 yards, and he played terrible against the Jaguars. I can say Philip Rivers isn't a very good quarterback anymore in terms of his NFL real-life skill, and he can still put up a good fantasy day for you from week to week. If I'm in a 12-team league, I would start Mitchell Trubisky. Against That's... the Giants next week, I probably would too. Like I would, If I'm in a 12-team league and I was the 12th person to take my quarterback and I ended up with like, Drew Brees or Tom Brady or some garbage other quarterback, um, I would play Trubisky next week and probably the week after until he lets me down instead of them. That's fair. I am totally on board with Trubisky being a borderline fantasy starter in a 12-team league as long as he's not facing a, a good defense. So this was the week of the uh, garbage running backs. <laughs> yeah, that's the best way to say it. The uh, so I, I feel like last year uh, we were we were told all of this stuff about running backs. We saw these great years by running backs, and this year we kind of took that from last year and kind of applied it to this year, assuming that every running back that has the opportunity to to play a certain amount of downs will get 20 points a game. And I, everybody was garbage. <laughs> I, I can't. Don't know. Everyone was garbage. Ezekiel Elliott would beg to disagree. Well, I mean, flip a, well, you don't have to flip a coin there. Just, it was just uh Saquon Barkley. That was garbage in those top five. Yeah. What did, what did he get? Like all nine yards on 15 carries. 
Yeah, that was really that was really really bad. I don't even think the Steelers are as good as people think they are after that. I think something was wrong. Something was seriously wrong. Yeah, I don't. I I watched the game. I couldn't figure out why the the Giants couldn't get anything going on the ground. It was it was baffling. But to be fair, I mean, Alvin Kamara struggled almost as much against the Buccaneers this week. He just got two short touchdowns, uh, one running, one passing, that really salvaged his fantasy day. But he, I think, had sub seventy five total yards at the end of the day, which is really bad for for him and for a top five draft pick. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and not only were the stars bad, but we had, basically we have, I don't know, seven to eight, seven to nine um, teams where I just want no part of their running back situation. I mean, look at the Jets, Le'Veon Bell, neither one of us wanted him on our fantasy teams to start the year. Now he's hurt. The Jets are going to start Frank Gore next week at the age of 37. Um yeah, like, buddy. You and I are getting old, so when a starting running back is older than us, that's that's not good. That's just not good for his team. I love Frank Gore; he's a Hall of Famer, but man, he there's no way I'm touching anyone in this Jets backfield all season. Well, unless you're wearing a mask. Well, even then, I need gloves to touch them, Steve. <laughs> uh, what, um, about, what about my boy Jordan Howard? Yeah, what about your boy, Jolton Howard, Steve? Uh, okay, Tell me about so, his fantastic day. First of all, first of all, I'm not, I'm, I'm not abandoning the Howard bandwagon. I would rather have him than any other running back on Miami. He got hurt, and so he was out for a while. Didn't get, you know, he didn't get any of his uh, workload. But he did what I said he was going to do. He got a touchdown. And... That's what you can rely on with Howard, and that's what I want out of my number two running back is someone who's going to score touchdowns reliably. And I am fine with him going forward, assuming he's not doesn't have a prolonged injury. I mean, it's, it sounds like you're ready just to go down with this ship because Howard wasn't just bad. He was terrible. He had eight carries for seven yards. He got the one one-yard touchdown, whoop-de-doo. He played less than 15% of the snaps. Matt Breida also didn't do anything, so, you know, if you would have listened to me in early August, I would have been wrong, too, even though I came off of Breida as, you know, the real draft season got underway. The most prolific back, that's probably a stretch to, you know, come close to using that word, but the best running back for Miami yesterday was Miles Gaskin, who had nine carries for 40 yards and four catches for 26 yards. I would now take Gaskin over anyone else in that backfield, but... He, that's a desperation play. That's like you absolutely have to get another running back in because both your running backs are in bye or something like that. Like this is another team I I wouldn't touch with the ten foot pole. I'm glad I wasn't too high on Howard, although I ended up with him in one of my teams just because of the way the draft fell. I absolutely needed a running back at that point, but I don't want anyone here. And I'm going to enjoy watching you just slowly sink down to the bottom with Jordan Howard. Whatever. All year. Ride or die. <laughs> okay. Speaking of uh, pinning your hopes on somebody, how's how's Washington's uh, – what's that one guy you, you got? The rookie guy? Antonio uh, Gibson? Yeah. he uh, The darling of the DFS community up until Thursday of last week. Uh, Gibson was basically getting hyped just because he was really cheap on DFS sites. And there wasn't a lot of value to be had at that time. Um, thankfully, Miles Sanders missed the game, so people went to Boston Scott or, or like me, went to James Robinson in Jacksonville to try to avoid Gibson, though. We'll get to those running backs later. They didn't necessarily give you that great of fantasy day. But Gibson saw only 26% of the snaps for Washington, despite being the claimed the starter for the game, had 36 yards rushing and just two catches for eight yards. He was really a non-factor. And then you had Peyton Barber, of all people, get 17 rushes, only got 29 yards on those. So that kind of shows you what Washington's working with here. But Peyton Barber got two touchdowns. And he didn't even play as many snaps as uh, J.D. McKissick for the Washington no-name. So this is another backfield. It's a mess. I'm not touching it in season long at any point, anytime soon. If you picked Gibson up thinking that he was going to be a you know, a league winner or just, or, you know, a flyer that you might want to hang on to for a while to see if he performs. I, I'd be comfortable dropping him. Um, this team's 
kind of a mess, even though they got a win against the Eagles somehow, I guess, because NFC East, just everyone's bad. Uh, yeah, duh. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, not everyone. Washington is good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, Washington, Washington is 1-0, the rest are 0-1. Yeah. I, uh, I don't want to get too caught up in, in records after week one. Specifically as a Vikings fan, but also So you said Robinson. I don't know I don't know who this Robinson person is. Who is this so, Robinson person? So James Robinson, the undrafted rookie for Jacksonville, he's apparently the reason they were comfortable releasing Leonard Fournette. Had a solid, if not really great fantasy day with sixty two yards rushing on sixteen carries and one catch for twenty eight yards. I think the most notable thing here for Robinson, and I can't remember who tweeted this out, but it was really kind of an eye-opening tweet, is that he's the only running back in the whole league that got all of his team's running back carries. Jacksonville had a wide receiver run the ball once or twice, but Robinson was the only official running back that got a carry for the team. And so while his nine points on the day in fantasy weren't, or 10 points in PPR weren't anything to really write home about, I think he shows a lot of promise just because it does look like he's going to get a big workload for the Jags. Um, I'll pass nine points and you got all the carries. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Like I said, he, he wasn't great. He is a, he's a flex player. You know, he's a, you're hoping he develops into something at this point. All right. Next week you have Saquon Barkley and you have Robinson. Who are you starting? I mean, come on. Like why, why, what, what does that do? Obviously I thought we weren't going to do that. Didn't your intro say we're not going to talk about, you know, yeah, start Saquon Barkley. Uh, when you look that bad, seriously, like, I, it it looks like he didn't know where he was going. It, I don't like, know. About when he was that. supposed did to be you? blocking, when he was supposed to be blocking, he didn't seem to know where any of the blitzes were coming from. He didn't seem to know what he was, where he was supposed to be, or who his guy was. When he was going out for passes, like that one, uh, that one great first down catch that he had, he was supposed to go a different direction, and Danny Dimes just managed to get it to him. But, like, he, he didn't seem like he knew what he was doing out there. It's, it like, weird. I, okay. I mean, I that was the announcer conjecture that he went to the wrong direction. I'm not so sure I buy that. But but did you see him once he got the ball in his hand in open space? He looked phenomenal. I even tweeted last night. He's probably one of the only players in the league that could look that good while being so unproductive. I mean, he hurdled a couple guys last night. He made some great cuts. I have no concerns about Saquon whatsoever. I chalk that everything that went wrong for the Giants running game last night up to playing the Steelers and it being week one after very little practice. So your boy, um, Marlon Mack, got hurt, and he's going to be out for, what, the season? Yeah. But, yeah, Torres Achilles. I don't know yeah. if he's my boy, but, you know. Yeah, your boy Marlon Mack is hurt. Okay, yeah, he's hurt. So now it is James Taylor time. No, I'll take Hines. So I think you're crazy. Look, Hines was apparently the red zone back for the Colts in week one, question mark. He had seven carries for 28 yards and a touchdown, eight catches for 45 yards and a touchdown. Super efficient, super good. I think that's all going to change, maybe not immediately, but over time. James Taylor has already been announced to be the actual starter in the backfield for the Colts. He had just 22 yards on nine carries, but also caught six balls for 67 yards. And that was the only concern anyone had about him coming out of college was his ability as a receiver out of the backfield because he caught very few balls in Wisconsin. But as numerous other people have pointed out, you know, what other running back didn't catch many passes in his college career at Wisconsin? Uh, Eddie Lacy. James White, who is one of the best receiving backs in the NFL these days and has been a Super Bowl hero purely uh, because Lacey of his ability to catch the ball. Yeah, Eddie was Lacy he? was Alabama. Yeah. Who am I thinking of? The other fat guy. Don Ron Dane. Dane? Yeah, Ron Dane from like Ron way Dane. back when. <laughs> um, so here, here's my thought. I didn't watch the game, so... This is just conjecture. Uh, I am not a fan of the Indianapolis Colts or whoever they played. But um, uh, Philip Rivers is bad. Um, but there were 14 targets to these running backs. Okay, And 
Hines got eight of them. Taylor got six of them. And they all caught every target. Okay? So it's going to be check down city in Indianapolis. Just nonstop check down city. And I want the one that is getting more targets and touchdowns. I don't really care about the yards that, that Taylor is getting. And if you think that at some point Taylor is going to get more, I don't care because I'm picking up Hines off the waiver wire so I can play him next week. Um, I'm not, I'm not like trying to target Taylor in a, in a trade so I can have him in the middle of the year. I want Hines for next week. I mean, I agree with everything you said. I think, and we'll talk about this more when we talk about Austin Eckler uh, in our disappointment section, but I think it's clear Philip Rivers is only able to check the ball down to his running backs. <laughs> in fact, it wasn't 14 targets he gave to his running backs. It was 17. He threw three passes to Marlon Mack. That's more targets than Mack had, or tied for the most targets Mack had in any one game all last season. Marlon Mack is not a pass catcher. He's not good at that. That's not part of his game. And he still got three targets in half a game. Philip Rivers is going to check the ball down all season to these running backs. Naheem Hines is going to have some value as a flex because of that. But Taylor is going to be a legit RB2. And I, I definitely think if you can get Taylor in a league for anything reasonable whatsoever, then you should grab him and trade for him as soon as possible. I think it might be difficult in a lot of leagues, especially sharper players. They're also going to be on Taylor's ability. Um, but just to kind of put this out there, I would rather have Taylor over Todd Gurley, over Chris yeah, Carson, no. over Mark Ingram, certainly, no. over David Johnson, over Nick yes. Chubb. And I think no. it's really close of whether you want Taylor or Austin Eckler or Joe Mixon. I think all those three are within a hair of each other, and it could very well be that Taylor is the best bet to have this season. I would take him over Gurley um, and Mixon, but otherwise I would rather have Carson, Ingram, Eckler, and David Johnson. And You Chubb. would rather have Mark Ingram and Nick Chubb, who are in 50-50 splits, and James Taylor. Yes. Oh, you're crazy. You're gonna be you're gonna be eating those words later this season. Hopefully. Hopefully you remember it and we have a call back. That would be that that's good content. <laughs> there you go. Promise. Oh, speaking of Chubb. Speaking of Chubb, uh you were pretty close on the fifty fifty uh split. Except it wasn't really fifty fifty, it was like sixty no, fifty five forty five. Yeah, and Chubb was the lower end. He had, you know, 10 carries, 60 yards, one catch for six yards. The Hunt got 13 carries, 72 yards, and four catches for nine yards. So, yeah, I mean, this is exactly what I was talking about going into the preseason. Uh, it's actually, it was more in favor of Hunt this game. I think mainly because of game script, because the Ravens destroyed the Browns so handily. Uh, great call on that one, by the way, Steve. But Thank you. I think this is what we're going to see all season. In games where the Browns get killed, which there might be a lot, Hunt's going to be the better back to own. In games where the Browns are up or close, Chubb's probably slightly better. Uh, but this is a true timeshare, and a lot of people that drafted Chubb in the second round or earlier in some leagues are going to be really disappointed this season. Uh, I agree with that. I Look, in my defense, I saw... Baker Mayfield, like he was so committed to his team that he was cleaning, he was cleaning out bathrooms, he was raking the field, he was doing all these things to like keep the stadium clean. I I, I thought he was he was gonna be ready, like he was putting that amount of effort into his like game prep and to his his throwing ability. I I was a believer. I don't know where I saw no, all these I, things. I think what happened is he put all his effort into filming a million commercials for Hulu and forgot to do his game prep and forgot to work on his throwing mechanics. Did you know they have live they sports? Terrible. They do? I heard this. No wonder I've been somewhere. able to watch live sports on Hulu all. Now we sound like an ad. I don't like where this is going. Oh, I could make this not a ad. ad. Hulu raised their prices like $20 a month, which is ludicrous. Might as well just buy, get like that... Those criminals direct TV your money. Yeah. 
Anyway, uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, neither here nor there. Uh, let's just switch to the Browns opponents quick because I just want to mention too another fifty-fifty time split. And the reason I'm down on Mark Ingram is that the Ravens uh, have already really incorporated their rookie running back. Ingram got ten carries for a really pathetic Saquon Barkley-esque twenty-nine yards. Well, Dobbins got seven carries for not much better twenty-two yards, but Dobbins also got the goal line work and scored twice in his debut game. So. I would definitely take Dobbins over Ingram uh, from this point going forward, and I think this role will just go more and more to Dobbins as the season progresses. I thought we weren't overanalyzing a small time, a small uh, sample size. Yeah, but when the small sample confirms what I already believe, I'm going to go with it. I don't okay, think there's Maga a name for that. I think <laughs> I think that's I think that's a totally logical way to do. I don't think that's any kind of bias whatsoever <laughs> in interpreting data, right? And so. From my perspective, uh, a rational, you know, educated person's perspective, um, this goes back and forth. Dobbins had it this game. Ingram gets it next game. They're both getting the uh, targets. Ingram is a more reliable threat through the air. And the way that I see Jackson play, he likes to roll out when he's in the red zone and throwing those short passes. I. I think Ingram is perfect perfect for that. So I could see the next game being the exact same stat line, except Ingram has two touchdowns. Would not shock me, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's certainly possible. And I, I think the best argument to make is that you could say this was all game script, that the Ravens had this game so in hand that they wanted to get their rookie some extra work to see how he'd perform, get him some exposure to the NFL, get him accustomed to getting hit, all that kind of stuff. And, and that's why he got the work in this game, and that maybe Ingram gets more of the work in a close, tight contest. But we'll have to see. Like I said, I like Dobbins. I know you like Ingram a little more. But at, at, in any case, I think we both agree that this is at least close to an even committee, maybe 60-40, the best bet for either player. So for the next one, um, did you know that on Twitter, um, dur- on su- during Sunday's games, uh, there was a lot of people like yelling at air, and apparently that air had said that Brown is touchdown dependent, and everybody was all up in arms to like yell at this this air that didn't exist because somebody in their head, in the back of their head, said that Brown was touchdown dependent, and. He's not. He's actually an amazing runner. He's a threat in the pass game. He's the he's the total package, from what I'm hearing on Twitter. Is this true, Brian? It was true on Sunday night this past week. I don't know that it's going to be true going forward. Brown was spectacular. 18 carries for 79 yards and two touchdowns. He added on three catches for 31 yards. Uh, well, Cam Akers, the hyped rookie for L.A., Managed just 39 yards on 14 carries and four yards and one catch. Brown was the hot hand this week. I think that's all we can say. Sean McVay has liked Brown. He's spoken positively about Malcolm Brown for a few years, ever since really Sean McVay got to L.A. But Brown has never been more than an afterthought. If they if they believed in Malcolm Brown that much, they wouldn't have drafted Daryl Henderson two years ago. They wouldn't have drafted Cam Akers in the second round this year. Brown is the answer for the Rams right now, meaning, you know, a few days ago on Sunday and probably another week or two. I don't expect him to maintain this level of production or this workload all season whatsoever. I think this is another running back by committee that for the most part you can avoid other than if you need a flex. Uh, Okay. So you're saying Brown is touchdown dependent? Absolutely. Wow, you were the heir. I'm going to get canceled, aren't I? <laughs> um, so, what's this, this guy's name? Dallas Goddard. Your, your guy, Dallas Goddard, um, stole away targets from my boy, Zach Ertz. What's, what's the deal with that? Is he, like, by far the more athletic, better player? He's the younger, cheaper player that the Eagles don't have to sign to a new contract if he performs well this year. That There might be something to that, but but Goddard was amazing. Eight catches, 101 yards, and a touchdown. 
uh, in week one. Zach Ertz scored a touchdown and had five or six targets as well. Um, but Goddard was really the star for the Eagles in what was otherwise a really forgettable game for them. I do think, you know, going forward, it's basically Goddard and Ertz, you can just both treat as tight end ones because they're essentially Philadelphia's top two wide receivers. And that's the best way to look at it. Philadelphia runs more sets and more formations with two tight ends than anyone else. So they are, you know, just they're Carson Wentz's top two targets. So they'll both be good for you this year. I just think Goddard's breakout came faster and harder than even I thought it would. And I had Goddard ranked as a starting tight end when in a lot of sites and leagues he wasn't even being drafted. Yeah, right. He was huge at the end of the year last year. The last, like, third of the year. I'd say in a good half my leagues right now, I have a waiver wire claim to pick up Dallas Goddard. In a lot of those leagues, it's because, like, I have Travis Kelsey or I have George Kittle, and I just want Dallas Goddard to that good of a value. He, uh, I think he's going to be the guy that maybe breaks through and causes a lot of people to play a tight end in the flex, like you predicted in one of your bold predictions a week ago. Uh, it's not going to be him. It's going to be my boy, Johnny Smith. But Goddard You're pretty good, good too. Yes. Uh, who are these other guys you listed? Yeah, end? so I want to talk about a couple other tight ends um, that are, I think, even less owned than Goddard, or at least in one case definitely is, that didn't have great weeks on the surface in week one, but are going to be very valuable and are worth picking up um, or trading for. The first is Hayden Hurst. He's more likely to be owned but he was overall disappointing to a lot of people. Matt Ryan threw for over four or over or right on 450 yards against the Seahawks, but only but Hurst only managed three catches and 38 yards, which is obviously disappointing when you look at the volume of the Atlanta passing attack. But Hurst played 78% of the snaps, ran a ton of routes. The targets and the touchdowns are going to come his way at some point. I definitely wouldn't give up on Hayden Hurst. If you drafted him, if he's a free agent, I would add him on the waiver wire. If he's owned and you don't have a really good tight end option, if you're trouting out, I don't know, if you were a you know Blake Jarwin owner and now he's injured out for the year or otherwise just weren't trusting of your tight end, I would try to trade Hayden Hurst. You can probably get him for pennies on the dollar right now real cheap. And then the other guy is the converted quarterback, Logan Thomas, who's the starting tight end for the Washington no-names. He had four catches for 37 yards and a touchdown, which is actually a, a decent day for a tight end. But was another guy that played a, almost all the snaps for Washington, ran a ton of routes. He looks like he's going to be the second most targeted player after F1 McLaren for Washington this season, and that makes Thomas pretty valuable, especially in deeper leagues, if you need a tight end. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I didn't go too deep on tight end. I don't know a lot of these people. So I'll take your, I'll take your word for it and or never have them on any of my teams. Well, I will say you want, you definitely want to keep Logan Thomas's name in your mind for DFS because he started the season extremely cheap and he didn't get much more expensive this week. I think he's going to be a big DFS target for a oh. few weeks. All right. I remember that. Just like uh, what was the guy? Boston Scott? Yeah, thanks for that tip. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry that me and every other person that plays DFS in the entire no, world said play. It's just that one God. person. It's that one person that all he has to do is say it, and everyone's like, oh, my gosh, you guys hear about Boston Scott? <laughs> you find a single person that didn't think Boston Scott was a solid play going against Washington. Oh, I don't think – so I agree he was a solid play. I agree. Um, being the absolute must play, what what do they call those? Uh, free slots, right? Lock, yeah, yeah, free square, free square, being the free square. No, I never bought that. But apparently, who who's the big name in daily fantasy? I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot that are on pretty equal ground. It's friends you're talking about, but but I'll say this because I I've seen this a lot. A lot of people are complaining about uh, fantasy experts. Uh, telling them to play Boston Scott, telling them to play Antonio Gibson, even though I think most experts like me came off of Gibson once Scott was available. 
But it's not just that you play Boston Scott. It's that when you get to put a running back in your lineup that's that cheap. For example, Scott was just 4800 on DraftKings. You know, a good 2K less than 2300 actually less or something than that than most starting running backs. You free up a lot of salary to pay up at other people. Playing Boston Scott would allow you to get Lamar Jackson and Devontae Adams, both who had really big weeks. You know, that's what the kind of trade-off you're making. It's not just that you get to play the cheap guy because you're not worried about his points as much. It's that free salary allows you to pay up for other stars that can really make your lineup go nuts. And and that's what he did. I mean, I got Boston Scott, and that means it was really easy to fit Devontae Adams in with everything else I wanted to. Adams had over 40 fantasy points. Like, that's huge for your lineup. So that's the way you got to think about it. It's not just plugging in Scott and his numbers. It's what he allows you to do elsewhere in your DFS lineups. I I agree. I just don't like how these people try to control the narrative of these free squares. Like, I have, I have ideas for free squares. Like, MVS for me was someone I definitely wanted, especially against the Vikings. But that didn't make it onto people's radar. It, it, it was it was Boston Scott. And so now everyone felt, well, wait, I had this guy, but this person says I should play Boston Scott. So I guess I shouldn't play this person that I thought of anymore. I just don't like the controlling of the narrative. I mean, I get that. And you definitely want to think for yourself. I mean, like for me personally, I... I liked Antonio Gibson, but as the week wore on, I became much more a fan of James Robinson. They were the exact same price on almost every site, you know, minimum price, basically, for a running back. And not only was Robinson a good pivot off of Antonio Gibson in case Gibson had a bad game, which he did, but I was more confident in Robinson's workload than I was at Gibson's, and that turned out to be the correct thought. So, yeah, there's there's never really a true free square um other than, for example, if Dalvin Cook gets hurt on Saturday, Alexander Madison's probably a free square. But that's a much different situation we had than we had with Antonio Gibson or James Robinson. Probably even then Boston Scott. All right, let's go through these disappointments pretty quick. We got. You don't want to relieve the pain? <laughs> I, I drafted Connor because you told me to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so upset. Okay, so, well, yeah, let's just start with James Connor. get this out of the way, because this is so painful for me. Yes, I was so hyped on Connor, and yes, he did not look good for the first quarter of this game. I'm, I'm not going to count that as a loss. He got injured, hurt his ankle. They took away his helmet, even though he was standing on the sideline in uniform all game. And it looks like I'm, I'm guessing he's out for some time. Mike Tomlin said they're going to keep the light on for Connor. I don't know if Tomlin's doing some Motel 6 promos or something, but I'm skeptical Connor's going to be ready this coming week or next week. Benny Snell, his backup, came in and did a pretty good job. 19 carries, 113 yards. He only got one target, which is a little concerning um, for PPR leagues that Jalen Samuels took all the passing game works. But Snell looked like a capable backup, and that's probably the biggest concerning thing about Connor is if if Connor's hurt for two, three games and Snell excels in that time, does Connor get his job back? And then do I ever have a chance to be proven right on my preseason love of James Connor? All right, Kittle, faster. Kittle, four for four in the first half, then suffered a knee sprain, uh, came back and played the second half, but didn't record any catches. We're going to wait and see. If he plays, you're starting him. If he doesn't play, go somewhere else. I don't trust Jordan Reed, uh, not only because he could get knocked out in any play, but just I don't think he's the same player as George Kittle. Kittle's just a situation to monitor. Uh, does the more Michael Thomas whine make him worse at football? The fact that he apparently has a severe high ankle sprain and is going to be out for several weeks does make him worse as fan at fantasy. And it's the reports are still coming out, but every time I hear something new about Michael Thomas, it sounds worse. So he was terrible um, with three catches for 17 yards in the game against the Buccaneers, but he got rolled up on his ankle by Alvin Kamara of all people on a play and Apparently, it caused a severe high ankle sprain, which those are really hard to come back from. Those are really bad for wide receivers and running backs who need to make cuts to do their jobs. 
and I have severe concerns about Mike Thomas this season now. He certainly isn't going to reward you in season-long leagues where you draft him in the first round, and I don't even think he will pay off that spot on a per-game basis if you you know factor in how well he does when he comes back because high ankle sprains scare me. It's something that can linger. It's something that can pop back up. It's something that can limit his ability even when he's quote-unquote healthy and playing in the game. Uh, Eckler's done. Would you trade him? Who do you think you could get for him? Like, I, I, if I could get some, I mean, I would trade him for Joe Mixon. You think you get would, Robinson? I wouldn't trade him for Robinson. So, like I said, so but Eckler, could you I think get that, Robinson for him? Yes, yeah, you could get Robinson for him. Mm. Listen, Eckler still had 19 carries for 84 yards. He what got a Frank lot of work. Gore? Okay, so now you're just being crazy. It sounds like you're not too concerned about Austin Eckler. So let's let's no. just let's boil down the the conversation just for our listeners who maybe aren't as in touch with all this. Is Eckler had 19 carries for 84 yards, which I, I feel like 19 carries must have been at or near a career high for him, but I don't actually know that for a fact. But the one catch on four tar, on four 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 yards, excuse me, on just one target were like supreme lows for him. I don't think he ever had that low of a reception output last season and that's concerning because his coach came out and said that while they want to get Eckler touches they are scheming so that they're not purposely checking the ball down to him a lot and Eckler is the type of running back he got almost all his value from the passing game and so I do have concerns about him especially when you pair that with what Philip Rivers did and his 17 targets towards running backs really makes me concerned that a lot of Eckler's production was the result of the way Philip Rivers plays the game and not the way the Chargers want to run their offense. So I have concerns about that. Like I said, I'm really close to saying I would trade Eckler for James Taylor and be happy with Taylor, but it's really close. But that's kind of the concern you're talking about here. Uh, Don't cut him. Don't trade him for James Robinson uh, and start him this week if you do. I think... Week two will be a great litmus test to see really what Eckler and his game are going to look like this season because the Chargers are playing the Chiefs, who obviously are going to score points, but who also have a terrible run defense and are terrible against pass-catching running backs. So if there's ever a game for Eckler to rebound in, it's going to be week two against Kansas City. Okay, so I don't know. I think Eckler will be fine. I think he'll just take a step back from last year and i think the i think 20 tar, 20 um touches a game is probably right except probably see something close to like 14 and 6 you know 13 and 7 uh, moving forward and he'll just he'll be fine well if he gets that then yeah he's exactly the same as last year that's my you know it's if he gets six seven targets a game he'll be fine and i i'd have no concerns i'm just concerned he's going to get more like three, four targets a game. And just given the way he plays and given the Chargers offense and the the fact that I don't think it's going to be that high scoring, that's really going to limit Eckler's ceiling in PPR leagues. And that that's the concern with him. Not that he's terrible, just he's not going to pay off his draft slot. All right. Um, so if people listening could not infer yet, uh, the top waiver targets, number one, Brian, your number one waiver target. So my number one this week is uh, Snell for the Steelers. I expect James Conner to miss the game. If somehow you we hear some contrary information before your waiver wire deadline, I think you can go another direction. But again, for me, I think Snell is the only running back available on waiver wire, on you know, like commonly, because I hate when people talk about waiver wire targets and they're like, well, this person's available in 20% of leagues on ESPN. It's like, yeah, it's because 20% of leagues on ESPN are like 18, you know, eight team leagues where nobody does anything all season. And so everyone's available. Uh, but Snell should provide good value. And I think he has the chance to run away with this backfield, unfortunately, for James Conner and me and my prog- prognostication abilities. But that makes him exciting to me. He's my top waiver wire pickup. Uh, and then we have the rest, Goddard, who I, I'd be surprised if he's available in a lot of leagues. But um, I, I, I you know, I was too. Um, I think he was only rostered in like 27% of ESPN leagues or something, according to ESPN. So, And he's out there in a handful of my leagues still. And I'm a guy that was targeting him hard. It's just like those are leagues where I got 
Travis Kelsey. So he he's out there, and if he is, definitely pick him up. Brown and Hines. Some two possible running backs that will be good next week, but make it eclipsed eventually. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And then round that up with, in, for deeper leagues, Miles Gaskin, if you need kind of a, a quick fix at running back, you know, you can hope that he rides out his week one production and workload. And then Logan Thomas, another, you know, he's probably a very deep league uh, tight end flyer um, and certainly not on Goddard's level given that Logan Thomas has had one okay game. And we're talking Goddard's had six straight games going back to last year where he's averaged over eight targets a game. So Gaskin and Thomas are more just deep league players I wanted to include on there. They probably are available in almost every league you're in. All right, let's finish this up with uh, some trade targets for the week and then Thursday night game. Yeah, so so for trade... I disagree that Taylor is your number one trade target. So, Brian, you don't have anything to say about Taylor, I'm sure, right? You agree with me? No, I'll just repeat what I said. I think he's an he's a high end RB two at this point, and he and not to give credit to other podcasts too much, but as, as Matthew Barry said, if we would have known Taylor had this job from the get go in the preseason, there would have been a conversation as to whether James Taylor or Clyde edwards alaire was the top rookie running back to draft in season long leagues. So that's how good I think Taylor is and how great this role is because of the Colts offensive line. So just something to keep in mind. I'd trade yeah. for him if you can get him for a RB two or flex player. Enjoy enjoy your one point two yards per carry <laughs> with Taylor. Nine okay. for twenty two. So I'm glad you will drop Saquon Barkley in any league you have him. Uh, uh, I that, will I will drop Saquon Barkley. Last year, I had Saquon Barkley, and he let me down. And eventually, I just drop. I couldn't drop him. I wanted to drop him. Yeah, you, you, yeah. In a lot of leagues, you can't drop drop him anyway if you want to. Um, but I'll run through some other trade targets quick because I think we've almost we've talked about all of them. Uh, James Robinson, I think, has been picked up in a lot of leagues, uh, but he may be a waiver wire target for you. But otherwise, I think he's someone worth trading for. You can probably get him for pretty cheap still because he didn't have a great game. Zach Ertz, I would try trading for because, again, I think better games are ahead for him, uh, even if Goddard becomes a reliable week-to-week player. Hayden Hurst, we talked about. I would definitely try trading for him if you need tight end. Uh, DJ Moore, we haven't talked about, but he was eclipsed by Robbie Anderson in Anderson's one big play. Moore is still going to be really good. I think Teddy Bridgewater showed he's a capable NFL quarterback. So if you can get more for relatively cheap, uh, you know, even just a little bit below his draft value, he'd be a good pick. Uh, same with Marquise Brown. Brown got six targets, or excuse me, he got five targets, caught them all for 101 yards in week one. So he had a good game, but he didn't score and he didn't have a huge game. I think he is another person you can probably still target, get cheaper than expected. And then finally, Austin Eckler, who we already talked about. Um, Steve's even higher on him than I am, but I do think he's a viable trade target because people are panicking right now. And if you want to get him, I think you have to get him before the Chargers play Kansas City this week. And then finally, C.D. Lamb, who looked phenomenal in his debut with the Dallas Cowboys. I think he's probably should be ahead of Michael Gallup in rankings for the rest of the year just because he seemed to be more of the safety outlet for Dak Prescott already in his first game. So I really like him. He was drafted in almost every league, but drafted really late. You can probably get him for pretty cheap as well. Uh, a couple you missed. You did touch on it, but uh, you missed... Uh, Robbie Anderson, you he should be a must own in any league. He's a obvious like flex play. Like I will, I want a player like Robbie Anderson in my flex every week because he is a uh, seventy five yard touchdown waiting to happen, especially on that team. I said it in the beginning of the year. I said that this team is going to be dump offs to fast wide receivers. Someone's going to be running for a seventy five yard touchdown, and I wanted a piece of that. And I, he did it in week one. I think he'll do it again, maybe week three. I, I'm not going to say he's going to do it every week, but I think he's going to get his targets and he's going to have the opportunities to do it every week. Second, uh, MVS, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. He's the clear number two on that team, even though he's trying his best not to be. And, uh, <laughs> and Aaron Rodgers is showing that he is 
in his older age, in his graying age, he is becoming more patient and he's willing to methodically slowly move the ball down the field and that uh, it increases the value of a number two wide receiver on that team significantly. I just want to add, I, I like your call on Robbie Anderson. I don't disagree. I think he's a very solid flex player and, and, and should be owned in all leagues. And I know he's not owned in a lot of them. As far as Valdez Scantling goes, although he out got more targets than Alan Lazard in week one against the Vikings, and they both got a touchdown, Alan Lazard played 87% of the snaps. MVS only played 54%. And that's something to keep in mind. I think MVS has a role. He is a decent flyer, but I don't think it's a lock, you know, lockdown case that he's the number two wide receiver for the Packers. I think Alan Lazard actually is and has more value, but it is going to be kind of a week to week thing. I don't think either are superstars. Both probably are in the flex conversation, as we seem to, as or at least I seem to start to put everyone we talk about. So maybe we want. Work on that, but, you know, I'm not as high in MVS as you are. I think he benefited from the Packers basically blowing out a division rival. I don't think they'll blow out their uh, every team like that. I think that they're going to be like uh, the Dallas Cowboys were about five, six, seven years ago where they would just slowly move the ball down the field. Time of possession was a big deal. And maybe that wasn't five, six, seven, maybe it was like three or four years ago. Anyways, where they had some of the best, one of the best times of possession uh, in the league. And I think that's what we're going to see from the uh, Packers. And Aaron Rodgers is such an accurate quarterback that his receivers, you may see Valdez Scantling with six catches for, you know, 75 yards. And that that may and they may only score like you know 20 points and you may see Alan Lazard with like seven catches for 70 yards and a touchdown I'm just saying that there's going to be viability in there just simply because he's going to be throwing the ball a lot he's very accurate and they're going to have uh the ball for a long time I'm a believer don't hate I don't hate. I don't agree, but I don't hate. Thursday night football. Who cares? Let's go. Yeah, hey, it's the game of the century. That's what I hear. Bengals at the Browns. What a what a barn burner for week Apparently two. the Browns Thursday are a big night. favorite, I guess. Five and a yeah, half Browns points. are favored by five and a half because Vegas didn't watch week one. I don't know. Um Though or home because... teams do have a big advantage historically on Thursday night games. That usually has more to do with travel, though, and obviously the Bengals aren't traveling very far to go play the Browns. What do you think? Over, under, 43.5? I take the over. I take the who cares. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm not really interested in this game. This is one of the probably worst matchups we'll have in a primetime game all season. It's a shame that it's coming this early in the year. Um, I don't really trust either team. I didn't draft a lot of players on either team. But if you're playing anyone from this team, or basically if you drafted anyone in this team to be a starter, you still have to start them because neither of these teams have great defenses. So you just have to roll with the punches. But that's it. I don't think there's any deeper analysis we need to do. Neither quarterback is really a fantasy starter. Uh, Both teams have fringe starting wide receivers and running backs that people are probably starting. That's about it. Yeah. And I didn't say anything about white nationalists this podcast. So, you know, there's that. Um, Yay, us. <laughs> so let's wrap it up. Um, we'll be back on what? Friday ish. Yeah. Friday, Friday Saturday morning. Yeah. Yeah. Previewing the, the week of games. Maybe we'll try and get into one podcast. I doubt it, though. Um, and yeah, that's it. So check us out at our new, new ish website, um, dailyfantasyweekly.com. And uh, yeah. Oh, Twitter, 
Oh, Brian is active on Twitter. That's right, I am. He he still forgets, you, like, you're replying to people, but you're not putting hashtags so that more people will see it. You're just relying on the people that are seeing that person's tweets to see what you're saying. But he's learning. He's active. Good job, Brian. Pretty good tweets, too. Thank you. Pretty good. Yeah. I thought Could I use a little bit more, a little bit more um, hot takey, hot takes to it, but you know, I think I think I just got to start picking fights with everyone in the DFS community, and that'll really get me noticed. Well, I mean, yeah, that that is how <laughs> how people get noticed. Yeah, let's try to take the Skip Bayless Bayless approach to fame and fortune. Wow, Brian, you really want to say that about people with depression? That's that's not cool, dude. Skip Bayless suffers from depression now. Did you not hear what he said? I heard what he said about it. I didn't. I didn't catch the part where he said he also suffered from it, but didn't talk about it because he's a man. Um, no, I was saying you wanted to be Skip Bayless. You wanted to take the Skip Bayless role. Oh, so I see. You would what you're be saying. saying things about other people. Yeah, I mean, low blow, Brian. For, for Skip Bayless's salary, maybe? Yeah, that's true. Um, anyways, <laughs> we'll see you in a couple days. Uh, I feel like I stay peace out or something. Later, dudes.